0: look at somebody and say it's good to, see you. good to see you come on now look back at them and say it's good to see me too all right Hey, we're so glad that you're here. My name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church, and what that means is every single week I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus, and Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. So if you've ever asked the question, what is God like, you don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about Jesus. Jesus. We wrote it on the wall if you need some help. And what that means is you're going to need a Bible to follow along. And so if you forgot your Bible, we got you covered. You can borrow one of ours. You can just slip up your hand and one of our ushers will get one to you. And then if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. Take that one. Read it every single day because every time you do, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, Turn in your Bible to the Gospel of John, uh, and if you are new to the Scripture, you can start in the right and turn left. You'll find it much faster. We've been in this series for many months now, and um, we are in some of the most important passages in all of Scripture. And so uh, I want you to look at verse 16 of chapter 16. And um, this morning, I, just full disclosure, I, I covet your prayers this morning. I'm, uh, I've been struggling all morning with a uh, sinus headache that hit me uh, uh, just after I woke up this morning and I've been struggling ever since. I feel like uh, uh, prayers and uh, have helped this morning and I'm starting to just get my bearing straight. So I was, I was starting to get pretty nervous. I thought we were just going to have to uh, do nothing but worship this morning. Uh, and so uh, uh, I appreciate your prayers. And uh, And then uh, my apologies for those in small groups. Uh, usually I, I try to put those questions together early in the morning, and, and uh, I could not even look at my computer screen this morning. And so uh, I, I will uh, send questions out uh, this afternoon, and uh, you can go over those around three o'clock today and uh and uh i'm sure you'll have nothing else to do that'll be perfect timing <laughs> look at uh headaches but still got jokes all right uh verse 16 of chapter 16 says this and we're going to we're going to read quite a few verses here But the anchor, I'm going to kind of give you uh, kind of the synopsis here, the first section of it, and then we're going to anchor in the second part of what we're going to read here right at the end of the chapter. It says, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. And some of his disciples said to one another, what is it that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, in a little while you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by a little while and you will not see me? And again, a little while you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You'll be sorrowful and your sorrow will turn into joy when a woman is giving birth she has sorrow because her hour has come but when she has delivered the baby she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world so also you have sorrow now but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you i want to read verse 22 again let it sink into your heart so also you have sorrow now but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of my Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Here's the second part of this passage. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when no one when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name. I do not say to you that I will I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father Himself loves you because you have loved me, and have believed that I come from God. Verse twenty seven, I'll read it again. For the Father Himself loves you because you have loved me and believe that I came from the Father. I came from the Father and I have come into the world and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, "Ah, oh, now you are speaking plainly and not using figures of speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone, do not need do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe you came from God." Jesus answered them, "Do you now believe?" behold the hour is coming indeed it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone yet I am not alone for the father is with me I have said these things to you so that in me you may have peace in this world you will have tribulation one translation you've probably heard it quoted before in this world you will have trouble but take heart I have overcome the world will you pray with me gracious heavenly father we love you we thank you for who you are and who you are to us i ask for your grace grace upon my body that is mortal and has aches and pains like all of us but we press forward through the trouble of this world knowing that our joy is found and completed in you Let us see you more clearly through this text. Let us help one another and encourage one another. We ask everything that we say and do will bring glory to you and good to this valley. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. This passage comes right after the Last Supper. They've moved into the courtyard, the Garden of Gethsemane, Uh, this is where they're getting ready to join Jesus in prayer. Chapter 17 is going to be uh, the great high priestly prayer, a prayer that he prays for his disciples and for us. Leading up to this, the disciples are confused about what's going to happen. I mean, they entered into the city with a makeshift parade. When they got there, people grabbed palm branches and began to wave uh, the, their palm branches. And they begin to, to, to sing and shout, Hosanna, Hosanna. And they begin to welcome Jesus into the city. And the disciples are confused about ultimately what Jesus is going to do. We can retroactively look back and say, oh, well, I could see that the whole time. How could they not see it? Jesus uses figures of speech and metaphor and he uses parables. And yet oftentimes he speaks very plainly to them once they're confused and still afterwards even at the end of this passage you see them they go okay now we we understand now we believe and he says oh do you really do you really because here's what's going to happen your box is going to be so shattered by what your preconceived idea of me is that you're going to scatter you're going to run and hide you're going to leave me alone I mean, could you imagine saying this? Can you imagine receiving that from Jesus? Could you imagine this friend, this, th- this leader saying to you, yeah, you still don't get it, you won't be able to get it, but in that hour, he begins to say, soon you'll get it, now you don't. I mean, how many of us have had those experiences in, in our faith? where one minute you get it the next minute you don't one minute you're lost one minute you're like "Ah, I think I'm on to something and 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 then the next minute you run and hide uh, you know uh, tail tucked between your legs you're going man I don't know if I have all of this figured out do we have anyone who's in that particular camp the rest of you liars (laughs) right Like all of us have had those experiences where we think we have it figured out and we don't, amen? And so we talked about even last week that if your theology has led you to believe that you have God figured out, then it is fundamentally bad theology. And theology is this, this word that simply means what do you believe about God? And see, that's what they keep having this conversation about. He keeps saying the Father, And he tries to let them know that ultimately your understanding of God, the Father, will be found in me. And and he even says, like, you don't even think to ask and pray. You know, when he says, ask anything in my name, he's particularly talking about the way we pray. When trouble hits, everyone Praise, right? Every, everyone, uh, whether they believe in God or not, they're going to shoot prayer emoji hands to you, sending thoughts, sending prayers right it's interesting uh, that we we need to feel as though we're doing something we're asking for something something outside of ourselves some people might not even be able to articulate they don't want, they don't want to to gra- nail that down and they will pontificate on all the the ways they don't believe in Christianity or God but when trouble hits the world when trouble hits home it seems as though everyone praise everyone is looking for something and Jesus says right now you don't even think to pray to me you don't fully understand that what I have come to do what power and authority I have you you seek the father but the implications of this is that sin has separated us from the father and so we have no counsel with him we have no no uh, we have no advocate we have no one to mediate this gap we have no one to bridge this gap and ultimately Jesus is pointing to ultimately he's going to be the person who bridges this gap and you don't understand it now but you'll be able to look back he says, I'm going to the Father. And then you, you'll realize that the Father loves you, that this gap is closed. Why? Because you trusted me. You loved me. You see that in the text. We read it twice. The Father loves you because you have believed in me. And so we, we talked a little bit about uh, over the past few weeks how ultimately what we believe in the New Testament begins to explain this work of the gospel this work of Christ we said last week that when you have questions in the Bible how many of you read the Bible and you have questions this side of the room all the Bible babies are over here I see you I know you right uh, how many you read the Bible and you have questions how many you read the Old Testament and you have a lot of questions right okay, you have a lot of questions. Well, the answers to those questions are found in the Gospels. Jesus begins to answer those questions. How many of you read the Gospels and Jesus said some things and you 're like huh right you're like what, what do you what do you mean by that? You read the Gospels and you have some questions Well, the New Testament, the epistles, the rest of the letters, these other books besides matthew mark luke and John, and then we have Acts, which are the Acts of the Apostles, or really better named the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles, amen? And and so uh, these tell the narrative stories, and then these letters and these other books begin to help us kind of wrap our minds around what exactly God has done through the person of Jesus. And, And so we what we know is that christ has come he's bore our sins he's taken on our debt he's paid the price because ultimately uh, god is so good and that that means sinfulness and evil and wickedness and things that just aren't right cannot stand in his presence so this is a problem and so God is just but he's also merciful and good and so he sets out this plan from the beginning of time that God would come in the form of man take on our lives pastor Joe said it uh wonderfully in the service said that he would end up holding both ends of the bargain how many of you know that it's very hard sometimes to keep our word it's, it's sometimes hard for us to keep in the most the, the, the smallest of ways. And, and, and we see e, e, uh, the, the detriment in our children's eyes when we say, hey, we're going to go to the park later. And then we don't go to the park later. You ever done, made that mistake? Right? Like, well, I didn't really, I, didn't really I, I meant to say if we had time and you weren't demons all day, I would have... <laughs> Taking you to the park, but right I, I, now I need to punish you, uh, and we're not going to the the park. And 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 yet, so oftentimes, it's our inability to keep our own word, just even between those we love. How much more to hold the standard and the bargain, and and uh, the uh, the elevated sense of authority, uh, like the, the the elevated status. Man, all of a sudden, the stakes are higher when you make a bargain with someone. You, you, have a, you, have a, you text someone who's a friend, hey, we're going to meet up later, and you don't. You, you almost, and let me just say, stop doing that to your friends, amen, right? Because the reality is is we feel as though, because there's, there's no stakes. They'll love us. They'll forgive us. They, they won't hold it against us. Then a business partner or employer you tend to make those appointments, don't you? Amen. Tell them I said hello. And uh, right, amen. You tend to make, uh, raise the status, raise the letter level. You have a job interview. You tend to go to those. Amen. Right. Like uh, you have an appointment with a creditor, uh, a broker, you want to buy a house, there's a contract, there's a a payment, and then think about the level of which bills you will allow at times to float that grace period, but grace, where we get that term, right? We'll hold this, think about which stats, which ones you will allow to have some margin or you won't quite hold, everybody tracking with me? this side of the room, (laughs) right? And and so each level tends to be the stakes are higher if I break that end of the bargain. It means late fees. It means creditors. It means bankruptcy. And yet the Bible says, for the wages of sin, what we've earned, what we've stored up, the wages of sin is death. Why? Because God of the universe is holy and the pinnacle of all existence and the stakes are high when we make a bargain with our creator and do not hold our end of the bargain. Are you with me? And yet God is gracious And slow to anger and abounding in love. And so that he might be just and the one who justifies. That he might be the good judge and the merciful jury. He sends his only son that at the right time he would step in our place. He would hold the bargain that we could not hold. He would pay the debt that we were so bankrupt we could not pay. And he would live this selfless, obedient life unto death, death on a cross. And that's why he's worthy of praise and glory and honor. Everyone should say amen to that. So then we trust him. We trust that our debt has been paid. We trust that when we read this book, it is not an invoice, but it is a receipt. We read it, not thinking, man, I gotta get my act together, man, I gotta pay this, I'm late, I got the bill in the mail, and it says that I am bankrupt. Yes, but keep reading. Because if you'll read to the back of the document, you'll realize that the debt has been paid. This is a receipt, and what he's trying to show you is you've been given the good gift. I mean, think about how that hits you, even if someone in the Starbucks line—I don't know who goes to Starbucks, but uh, anyways—but you go to the Starbucks line, and somebody does—yeah, we'll forgive you later, man—and just uh, shop local. Anyways, uh, uh, that's a joke, because when I first got here, I was like, yeah, Starbucks is here, and then every one of you were like, uh, coffee cabin. Anyways, and— you know exactly what i'm talking about and uh and so anyways you notice when someone pays like just buys you coffee the pay it forward thing in our culture someone in front hey they got your bill or or you show up to the restaurant your friend sees you from a distance and they just happen to to buy the the pay the the bill in such a small way what that does for you when it's unexpected and and it happens Right? Grace is this thing that we do not deserve, could not earn it. It's unexpected. That's why it's a scandal. The Bible says a scandal to the Jews. Why? Because they know this God. They believe in this one true God. And you're telling me that he's going to allow sinners to go free like you and me? Right? That's why it's amazing grace. Man, oh, how sweet this sound that he saved a wretch like me. That's why words like that hit different because it's the essence of the gospel. And so then when we trust Jesus, that he came, lived in our place, died for our sins so that we could be hidden in him, in his life, that we would be joined in his death, putting to death the old us, being raised anew with newness of life. All of a sudden, he says, when you begin to see, and he's talking to the disciples, he's going to say, right now, you think there's a, a gap. You don't think that the Father's agenda and my agenda are the same agenda. You, you, you don't see that the Father and I are one, that this whole thing is not about making this world comfortable right and we love comfort don't we someone say amen to that right like it's a little warm in here can you turn the heat on? it's a little cold can, can you know or, or the ac on can you turn the heat on can you can, can, man i i i like things right psychologists would say that the chief end of man is to avoid suffering at all cost now think about the things, the the great lengths you will go for your own comforts, and yet the disciples are in a scenario where they are oppressed by the Romans, and it, and they're allowed to have some sort of autonomy as the Jewish nation underneath the auspice of Rome. And there's a puppet king Herod who, who's wicked above all other. Kings with them and, and they'll even like like he's he plays the religious card whenever it works for him, but he does whatever he wants. That's ultimately what will get John the Baptist, the, ha- the cousin of Jesus, killed because he will mock him for his hypocrisy saying one thing and doing another. It will be the thing that cost John the Baptist his head and yet there's this puppet king underneath Rome. They think he's their guy but he's not really their guy. He's working for the Romans and yet the Romans at any point point in time if they're in a, a cultural scenario they're they're in the marketplace a Roman soldier could could come up and, and if he wanted him to do something or taunt him he had a legal right to slap his uh, someone's face he couldn't close his fist but he could slap his cheek it's where the sermon comes and you realize the cultural implications where Jesus says if someone slaps your cheek turn and give him the other one I mean could you imagine him saying this to the disciples where this is a common practice but then the, the the story goes on he says if 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 the if your brother and he calls him brother he says if your brother asks for your jacket give him your shirt too you ever read this we usually stop at the cheek thing right because we're just like I don't like that you you have a right to defend yourself. Anyways, and uh, and, and amen. <laughs> you got nervous, right? And yet Jesus s- says these things in this cultural climate, in this scenario where they're, they're oppressed, where they're persecuted, where they don't do what they want. He says, if, if your brother calls him brother, and this says something that is, that is normative and something they're not happy about and something they'd like Jesus to change for them. And he says, if your brother comes and asks for your jacket, give him your shirt too. Like what? Could you imagine that? Could you imagine getting mugged and and the guy takes everything you got and he's heading back down the alley and you're like, hey, wait, you forgot my watch. (laughs) Like what? You imagine someone broke into your house and they're trying to get your TV off the wall, which no one does that now because... They're on every street corner, right? Like, uh, and and yet, if someone was going to break into your home and they were going to take the TV off your wall, could you imagine? Like, hey, hold on a second, let me grab some tools. We'll get it off together. (laughs) What, Pastor Sam? What are you saying? The words of Jesus. Uh, like, think about think about this scenario, where he asks for your. Jacket, and you give him your shirt too. Here's what would happen. A Roman soldier, if he was cold in this coastal climate, if temperatures changed, he wasn't prepared for it. His life was worth more than a slave's life. And so he could take their jacket to keep himself warm. And so Jesus says, when they do that, give him your shirt as well and watch and see what happens. And then he says, he says, if he asks you to go a mile, go with him, right? The... Extra mile. Why do we say that? He's, Jesus says, go with him a second mile. Why is that? A Roman soldier could come, and at any point, he'd have a heavy pack, he would have his gear, he'd have his armor, and he could ask you or tell you to carry his stuff legally for one mile. And Jesus says, when you get to the end of that mile, And you drop the pack and he looks for someone else to go another mile. Now notice that in the story of the crucifixion, when Jesus is carrying his cross up to Golgotha, he's unable to carry it the whole way. And what happens? They grab a man named Simon or Simeon, whichever we want to say. They grab him out of the crowd and what do they do? They force him to carry the cross the rest of the way. Legally, they had every right to do that and yet Jesus says this at the end of that mile when they're looking to take from someone else to oppress someone else you pick up the pack and you say no no no, you don't you don't need anybody else I'll go I'll go another mile with you he's like say what no 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 I'll, I'll go I'll go a mile with you and now imagine the conversation on that next mile why are you doing this why are you why are you Wait, I, I thought I was making you do this. Why are you giving me something? No, I'm taking something from you. are like, no, no, you cannot take something that I will freely give to you. Could you imagine what that does? I bet you could imagine that. I bet you could imagine the tactics of our warfare are not of this world, right? Because in, in the tactics of war, we're meant to take, we're meant to subdue, we're meant uh, to, to, uh, to flank and manipulate, coerce. And yet, what Jesus is saying is when they slap your cheek, give them the other, he's saying, show them that their hate will never conquer your love. When they try to, try to get you to, to give them their jacket, your jacket, give him your shirt to him. show them that their greed will never conquer your generosity. Man, there's something powerful. See, that's why the New Testament will say that the weapons of our warfare are not of this world, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds and casting down imaginations and every high thing that would exalt itself against the knowledge of of God so what that means is the enemy is trying to convince you that Jesus is not king and his tactics will not work let me say that again the enemy is trying to convince you that Jesus is not king and Jesus's tactics will not work you say well what if I do that and it doesn't change anyone what if I do that and it doesn't work well let me tell you that it's not just a good idea it's a God idea and so you're not arguing with me you're arguing with him and here's what I know is that through this type of sacrifice through this type of love the known world has been changed from the time of Jesus here's what I know is that the Roman crucifix is not known for death anymore What I know is it's known for salvation. It's known for healing. It's known for hope. If you were to get caught in a riptide and you were to look to the sandy beach looking for someone to help you, you would look for a lifeguard tower that would have the symbol of a Roman crucifix on it. That tells me that somehow the known world has changed. And Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble but take heart, I have overcome the world. And what is he saying in that moment? What's he saying to us in this passage? He's telling them of what's going to happen. They don't expect it because they're looking for revolution. They didn't like when he said this about the Roman soldiers, but but, but maybe we've tolerated it. Now we've went into Jerusalem. And do you know that most people are camping out? There's a contingent, a remnant of people that are waiting for their commander chief, chief, Jesus of Nazareth, to give them a command for the revolution. So they think we're gonna overthrow Rome. And we're gonna change everything. Have you seen what he's done? I mean, if they hurt us, he can heal us. Man, did you see what he did for leprosy? I mean, can you imagine the conversation? I saw people who were missing limbs, and limbs came back. Imagine such a man. Man, if they try to cut off our food supply and the tactics of war, did you see what he did with a little kid's lunchable lunchbox? He fed 5,000 men, not counting women and children. They go, man... That's why these stories, when you read them, it will constantly say there was a group of people that went to inaugurate him as king. They wanted to make him king. And he would say, no, 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 no. Even the temptation of Satan for Jesus was the same thing. Listen, Jesus, you don't have to go through with this. Just bow down to me and I'll give you all of this. Like, wait a second. What do you mean? I thought it was all his anyways. Yet before this passage, Jesus is going to say, here's what's happening. The ruler of this world. See, sin has come in and and sin has made us his master. Because the thing you want to do, that's not what you do, is it? The thing that you hate, that's what you tend to gravitate towards. The Bible says, well, then who will deliver me from this body of death? romans describes it that way the best analogy that i can give for you is it's as if you're in a tesla trapped on autopilot man and you're going and and the and and the screen that big glorious screen that i'm worried that people are looking at too much and not looking at the road but anyways uh i heard somebody put my sermon on one the other day it was like i don't know that i want to be associated with where that could go anyways and yet you could be in a tesla trapped on autopilot you can't move it you can't get out of the way because you're on a crash course towards sin and then Romans says it this way then the law came and made us aware the law came and increased the knowledge of sin it's like the screen is showing you a map you know you're going the wrong way but you're still trapped And he says, who will deliver me? Who will hit the ejector button and free me from this autopilot that just seems like I can't get out of the way? Praise be to God, he says. I, I think about the reality that oftentimes in this world we find ourselves trapped and in trouble and a lot of times it's our own doing and we've allowed sin to be our master we've allowed sin to trap us in a course of direction and we need Christ to free us from the trap of this world that's why he's going to say the ruler of this world is now judged A judgment has been put on the ruler of this world. A judgment sets something to the side. It says this is not right. This is not like this. And this is not the way it should go. And yet we find ourselves in a place where we constantly go in the way we should not go. And up until this point. That's all of humanity. That's all of us. But like, think about our prayers in that. Think about about our prayers in regards to what we experience right here and right now. We tend to be focused on what we can see, touch, and feel, right? What we can hold, what we can hold on to. And yet something in us tells us that we need to get out of here. Amen. Amen. Like I think about, like I think, like think about everyone has this angst about us. We're transient like people. And yet even in our society right now, there are men, I don't know if you've seen this or not, who shoot rockets to space. Have you seen this? You ever seen this before? Right? And they're trying to figure out how they can get the hell out of here. Right, they're like, this is is hell and Mars is heaven? Like what is it about human beings? There's something, they know they're trapped. And they think it's just about what they can see or touch or feel or existence, but something in them knows they need resurrection. There's something in us. Think about all the movies, all the stories. It's like, if we could just go somewhere else. Now think about you. You know, if I could just get another job. I shouldn't wave my hand too much, right? Like, yeah. Like, wait a second. Right? If, if I could just get a new house. If I could just get a new place to live. I could just go somewhere else. Think about how oftentimes we think somewhere else. Don't you feel that deep inside? If it was just somewhere else, if I could just get somewhere. Like think about even when you go through something, you're like, I just need to go for a drive. I need to move. I need to get out of this. What is that about us? See, I think it's that we know that this world is not for us. But not in the sense of the sun, the moon, the stars, the dirt, creation. See, that was made for us, all of it. Sin broke. Now Romans 8 says that even the whole earth is groaning and travailing like a woman in childbirth. The same analogy that Jesus uses in this passage. And he basically says, what we're experiencing right now, even creation is groaning and waiting in the pains, waiting for what will be born, what will be raised, what will be new. Like that's an experience. I think think that's what the ladies in our lives can teach us about the gospel that no one else can. I mean, come on husbands, you remember that day? It's the worst day of my life, you know? Having to watch childbirth, right? A joke doesn't always go over well. It's like, man, that was weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, friends. Right? But what happens? What happens? Man, it goes from sorrow and in a moment. In an instant. joy you can't explain it and they say this is the worst pain known to women because men have no idea right all the men are like yeah yeah baby <laughs> right the worst and yet Romans will say this I don't even consider our present suffering worthy to be compared to the greatness of knowing God. You ask a mom, like, here's what happens. Like, few weeks into it, few months, pain is in the past. And all of a sudden they got plans. And they're like, I think we should have another one. You're like, say what? <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you remember that? You remember what? I remember it, Right. Like you may have forgot, but I didn't forget, right? And then you do it again, and again, and again. Like, what, what's, like what's wrong with you? Like something happens, it goes from crying and wailing and gnashing of teeth to give me that baby. Let me just hold that baby, I love that baby. Joy, laughing, smiling. See, Jesus is telling the disciples in this moment, they don't understand, but they're gonna feel it very real. Their leader, that they want to have a revolution, is going to be murdered and killed in front of the entire city. And he says, you think you believe what I'm here to do, but you don't believe it. Because you think this is about this world. You think this is about organizing your comforts and organizing your contentment this is bigger than that this is about transformation this is about renewal this is about redemption he says you're going to see it and sorrow is going to fill your heart and the world will rejoice what does he mean by world the powers of this world the enemy thought he won had no idea what was coming. That sacrificial love would be put on display as the greatest superpower in the history of the cosmos. No greater love does a man have for another that he would lay his life down for his friends. You don't know what power is? It's sacrifice. You know what is revolutionary and changes the world? is when you suffer. Knowing that your suffering will soon lead to joy as what's being birthed is worth it. He says you'll be scattered, you won't believe it. You think you got it, but you won't. How many of us as Christians, when trouble hits, even looking back and knowing the story, he tells us, in this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I have transcended above. He came from outside of the world in order to redeem the world and to raise us to resurrected life. So why do you fret? Why are you worried about here and now what you can see, touch and feel and own and have and mortgage and lease and refinance and gain? Why are you worried? Take heart. Politicians won't save you, friend. Political persuasion won't change things. Petitions and movements outside of the known belief that Christ is conquered and he's building a kingdom in the hearts of men. So why would I speak to their heads? Why would I not touch their hearts? Through sacrificial giving, by turning the other cheek, by carrying the bag a little further, without complaining, without, w- w- without pointing the finger, without judging, because, man, he has taken on our judgment. I've been forgiven, then I must forgive others. And then, that's when I see the Father. That's when I see what he's designed you and I for. See, there's something in us that wants to transcend out of this world. See, the counterfeit of this is all the stuff that's happening with the idea of space exploration. Let's get out of here. Something in them is saying that. From the Old Testament, build a tower and you'll make it. Build a rocket and you'll get somewhere. And yet they don't realize that in all of the expanse of the cosmos, Man, this is the only place right here, right now. Man, something in you is saying it's somewhere else. Now it's the, the metaverse. Man, go live somewhere else. Maybe you're not familiar with this. Technology companies are creating full societies online. Now even churches are trying to take that technology and build campuses in the virtual world. See, that's a counterfeit of the gospel. That's a counterfeit. That's the enemy trying to manipulate and say, you can go, you need to get out of here. We have somewhere for you. And yet the gospel is this, that Christ came, lived and died, that you may join him in his death That you may be raised to new life. And you will see there is more than what meets the eye. You'll realize that eternal life is life that death can't stop. That there's more. So live for more, friend. Live for something bigger than yourself. Join him. In his resurrection because that's the only way you'll overcome the world's hold on your heart will you pray with me gracious heavenly father we love you and we thank you for who you are and who you are to us we will not live a counterfeit life The only way that we can overcome this world, the cultures, the philosophies, the ideology, the only way we can get out of this vehicle trapped on autopilot is that we join you in your life, in your death, in your resurrection. So that this world will no longer have a hold on us. That the words you say in this passage will be true. So then your joy can never be taken away. Let us not find joy in the things of this world that rust, fall apart, get taken, get manipulated, get squandered. But let us take hope. In you. We thank you. Let everything we say and do. Bring glory to you. And good to this valley. And everyone said. Go ahead and stand.